Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we've been doing this for a number of years, number of decades, writing books, writing articles. We've got probably a thousand hours of audios available on all sorts of different topics. We've organized them. In the last week, I was going through some of our studies on the Bible, New Testament, uh, the different books of the Bible, the different epistles of the Bible uh, that we have studies up where you can go to Preparing You and just look up Bible and go to the epistle that you want. And we'll have hours of audio uh, podcasts that uh, discuss these different uh, epistles in a different light than you're getting from the world. And the world has been steadily over the centuries uh, twisting the words of the Bible to mean something that they that was not really intended by the authors of the Bible and the spirit that wrote the Bible. And uh, there was a talk this weekend, we were talking about uh, being able to interpret the Bible and whether the Bible was divinely inspired. And of course, I believe that many of the authors of the Bible, maybe all of the authors of the Bible, and of course there are a number of different Bibles, there's Apocrypha that is included in some Bibles and not in others, uh, I believe they were inspired by God. And uh, the problem is, I don't believe all the translators that came along later and translated the Bible were inspired by God. And I certainly don't believe everybody who reads the Bible and applies some sort of private interpretation is inspired by God. And you're just going to have to decide who is inspired by God and who's not. And and the, the reality is you need to be inspired by God in order to determine what is the truth. Because if you're not inspired by God, then you're depending upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're depending upon your own mind to figure out what is true and what is not true. And uh, in order to know what is true, you need to know the truth about yourself. And lots of people come to us uh, looking for supposedly the truth. At least that's what they tell us. Uh, But they carry a lot of baggage. And setting that baggage down like the chains of Marley is not always so difficult and seldom pleasant. It is often very difficult to face the the lies that possess us. Now, that's one way of putting it. The lies that get into our mind, that get influence over our lives, and uh, actually can sometimes possess us. And what it is, is that you're literally plugging into realms. Uh, we got this realm, heaven, hell. Almost nobody really understands these things that are talking about them. And I'm not going to claim to understand them either. But I look at them as realms. And in one realm you have the spirit of force and control and manipulation. And lying is okay in order to get the outcome. The the the, the means are justified by the results supposedly. Um, and... Uh, that's uh, it's it's not a moral realm. It's an amoral realm, a, a realm without certain morals. It may have some morals. It may have courage. It may have 
some sacrifice in it, but it is controlling, manipulating, it is taking away choice, it is making people march in a straight line according to the will of somebody else. While God gives us choice, he wants you to follow his will, he wants you to do it his way, but he wants your motivation to be love, whatever that is, uh, you know, the love of God. I mean, uh, like I say, my cat loves birds, but uh, he destroys them. Uh, his love is destructive. But the love of God giveth life. So it's a different kind of love than you may find in the the dark realms of the universe, which you can equate with heaven uh, and hell. Uh, the heavenly realms are filled with light and and are willing to see the truth and willing to see the whole truth and nothing but the truth, while the dark realms exclude certain truths certain realities so you know if you look into the media you see that there are certain people who have a left view of things i'll use left rather than liberal and they often do not want to indulge in facts they don't want to indulge in the truth they're not interested in the truth they're interested in emotions now they claim the truth they think anybody who disagrees with them is brainwashed, but they don't want to address facts. And uh, that's that's a sign that they're plugged into at least a part of that realm that is not interested in the truth, but interested in its own way. It's a willful area of the universe and a selfish area of the universe and an area of the universe that eventually will take your life like Cain like Saul, and if it cannot have its way, it will take its own life, destroy its own self. It was a very interesting thing that when there were supposedly these demons that were influencing somebody, captivating somebody, and they were going to be cast out, they pleaded that they not be cast into the abyss, wherever that is, that dark place, that that place outside of this realm, this other, you know, it's where they throw... Uh, Emperor uh, Palpatine, you know, down this this big hole that goes on and on and on. But it says not didn't want to do that. So God or Christ pa- uh, cast them out into a herd of pigs. Now this is the way the story goes. So they're, they're trying to tell us something by relating this story. But the pigs immediately run over a cliff and commit suicide. So anyway, in that story, there's a little bit of mechanics in how the universe works. You know, the really important thing to understand there, I I mention it because it will mean something to some of the listeners, but the really important thing that should mean something to all of the listeners is, are you being influenced by the spirit of control and death and manipulation, and selfishness. Are these spirits having an influence over your own mind, guiding you to make decisions that drag you not towards life, but towards the abyss, towards death and destruction? You know, so evidently, the spirits that went into the pigs, even though they committed suicide, they were not going to the abyss. So the abyss is evidently something else, some sort sort of other realm of existence. And by dying as pigs, there was an advantage over going to the abyss. They would rather do that than go to the abyss. 
And the reality is, uh, like I say again, that gives us something into, it could give us something into an insight into the mechanics of the universe. Uh, but then understanding the mechanics of the universe doesn't really mean anything if you're not in control of your car, your vehicle, your life, your body, your soul, your corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality. So, seeking the kingdom of God, which gives life, allows choice, um, expands the power that is in you for the betterment of others, but will take away power that is in you if you abuse it or misuse it. It will guide you in dangerous areas. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because it guideth you to, to, you know, leading you beside the still waters. These are all metaphors trying to tell you something. Be still and know. Evil wants your brain actively uh, jumping from here to there. It wants you filled with confusion and passion and manipulation. But God wants you to be still and know and move with a purpose in life that is righteous and calm and at peace. And, you know, he, he leadeth you beside the still waters. He maketh you to lie down in green pastures. He is not a God of chaos and manipulation, but one of life and choice and growth and everlasting love. Which realm are you aligning yourself with? Which realm are you invested in and is investing itself in you? And so, this week we had a number of people join the network. Uh, some of them have been in the network before, but kind of fell away. I had calls from people that were on the other side of the country or in the middle of the country. and Some of them wanting to come and visit. I just had conversations with one individual that I've known for a long time that, uh, that it was just email, uh, not email, email, it was texting conversations. And uh, he, there was mention of baggage there, carrying baggage. And again, though, that baggage that we carry, which we often, you know, actually uh, covet and cling to, uh, is actually Morley's chains. It is what is following us and Morley's change can can be severed in life if we forgive. If we are moving with the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of service to others. And then comes the question, what is service to others? There was service in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was not the service that strengthened the poor. It actually weakened the poor, weakened the Spirit in people. And we talk about Polybius, who has this uh, wonderful quote that he wrote 150 years before Christ, that uh, people becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others because Rome was moving from a republic to a more socialist state and providing benefits at the expense of others. And this was altering the character of the Roman society. And that, that Roman society was now including a lot of immigrants who had come to the to Rome to work, to make money, to produce goods that uh, Rome could afford to buy 
because that's where the money was, because they had become so successful in several hundred years that everybody wanted a piece of Rome, wanted a piece of the prosperity of Rome. And so many people came there. So now Rome was not just Romans, it was other people. Many of them wanted benefits, many of them wanted a say-so in the government, uh, the common people, and that say-so began to influence the way in which the government worked, and they started a system of free bread and welfare. They could afford to do that because of the fact that they uh, were so wealthy. And, and we, we hear talking about slaves in... Uh, uh, this, this is a conversation that came up, so we'll take a little sidetrack here, a little rabbit trail, and we'll come back. Uh, that's the way rabbits run. They run out in circles and come back to where they started. So we'll take a little sidetrack here. Is slavery outlawed in the world today? Well, in 1960, the last country outlawed slavery. In That was Saudi Arabia, as a matter of fact. That was one of the last countries to outlaw slavery. Now, slavery is back in place again in Saudi Arabia and Libya. And then there's, of course, an underground slave market that is constantly going on. Uh, children being snatched off the streets, uh, snatched out of homes, and uh, put into this underground uh, slave market where the, they're, they're used, abused, and even murdered. And that's going on to the tune of thousands of children a year, and tens of thousands of people are being enslaved. But there, the slavery that is often talked about in the Bible because of translations we 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 talk about it as slaves but it's actually servitude it's a bondage of servitude israel was not supposed to go out and capture people they were not to oppress the people uh in their the strangers in their midst uh they weren't just to make slaves out of other people but today most of the people who say they are abhorred by the idea of slavery are absolutely in favor of socialism and all the systems and, and, and programs of socialism, which involves taking away the labor of the people, what they produce, their means of production, in order to fund or finance the, their giveaway welfare benefit programs, their gifts, gratuities, and benefits that come from government. That is the servitude of Egypt. I'll say servitude of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt. Everybody who was taking of the welfare of the Pharaoh, taking the free bread, uh, the benefits of Pharaoh, the straw of Pharaoh, had to deliver 20% of their labor, one-fifth of their labor to the Pharaoh in one form or another, either working or uh, paying in some sort of uh, monetary value uh, so that, you know, or actually sending a slave. It appears that in Egypt during this time of uh, Corvée system of uh, servitude that you could actually send somebody else. You would pay somebody to go and work for the government on government projects for you and then you didn't have to go because you paid somebody else to go and there was actually people who work for the government, you know, and making bricks or building or whatever, all the time. And they were paid by what other people paid in. And, of course, that's what we do today. We may not have a direct 
connection with the people that are being paid to provide government services. But everybody in the country is being forced to pay the salaries and the wages and the benefits of people who work for government. They're forced to pay that. They have to work and they're not paid for their labor. That money that they earn while they're working, at least a portion of it, will go to the government and the government will pay those people working for Pharaoh or working for the federal government. Same thing. That's servitude. That's a system of servitude. If you are forced to take the products of your labor and give to somebody else without direct compensation, that's servitude. And people who like that system believe in slavery. Now, people want to draw a picture of, you know, some slave with a chain around his neck and uh, having to work in the fields. And that's the bad slavery. But the slavery where somebody has to hold down two, three jobs to support themselves because they're being taxed and have to give money into the government. And the, the interesting thing is you're taxed many different ways. You know, there's Social Security tax. That's 15% right off. That's almost the equivalent of the tax that... Pharaoh imposed upon the people in the bondage of Egypt, which was only 20%. So just Social Security almost comes to 20%. It's at least 15% that people have to pay in. Now, that's everybody has to pay that. Then uh, we add another figure onto that, which is the graduated income tax. Now, about 70% of the graduated income tax comes from people who make $150,000 or more. That's that's where most of the taxes come from, from people who make $150,000 or more. And that's, that's the top 10% of wage earners in the United States. So those people are a- added on tax. Now, if you figure all that, we're, we're certainly over 20% for most people, or at least for a lot of people. Actually, most people don't really pay that much tax. They might pay it in, but then they'll get a refund with tax credits, etc., etc. But then there are other taxes that also go to the pharaoh, which is property tax, sales tax, a use taxes, you know, stickers on your car, all those taxes. And then, of course, the cost is borne across the board because if there's a lot of property tax and uh, wage taxes put on a business, they will up their prices and their customers will pay that tax. Uh, indirectly through the price of goods and services that are provided. So altogether, the the amount of taxes that are put on people today is far in excess of the 20% that was put on the bondage of Egypt upon the Israelites and all Egyptians. So the reality is the people who believe in such a system believe in slavery. But they don't want to call that slavery. They just call that government. But the reality is that most of the governments throughout history have been the result of free will associations where people gather together and support the government with donations, with their time, with their energy. And the government is a voluntary government that does not exercise authority one over the other, doesn't make new laws. They have a basic foundational law. That's one of the interesting things that came up this week is the Ten Commandments was the law given to Israel by God. Supposedly, you know, the 
first guy with a tablet that was downloading from the cloud, that he got this uh, uh, Ten Commandments, and it has these rules in it. And uh, most people don't understand the first three rules. They think that's something about, uh, uh, you know, that it's uh, some sort of religious spiritual rules. And then they get to honor thy father and thy mother so that thy days be long upon the land. They don't understand that the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath is about debt and usury and and borrowing against the future. Uh, it's about earning your way as you go. So that really isn't some pie-in-the-sky religious idea that is a very practical rule. But the most interesting thing about all the Ten Commandments, don't, you know, murder don't steal, uh, don't bear false witness. All these commandments have no penalties ascribed to them. And if you go to the U.S. codes and they have lists of laws, thousands and thousands of laws you can break. And if you break them, they also have a section on the penalties that can be imposed. What What is the recompense that you have to pay? But in the God's Ten Commandments, he's just saying... You know, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this. And so, but he doesn't say what happens to you. I, I would assume the closest thing that we have to that is honor thy father and thy mother so that thy days be long upon the land. So if you don't honor your father and your mother, your days might not be quite so long upon the land. So there, there would be some sort of a penalty attached to that. But there's no specification as to what this penalty is. So what is... The Ten Commandments really is not law like we think of law today. You know, you go too fast, you get a fine. You you know, you you uh, commit this crime, you get five years in jail. You commit this crime, you can get ten years in jail. You know, if you uh, make a copy of a DVD and and sell it, you can get a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine, and maybe what what is it, five years in prison. So they they have these penalties associated with the violation of crime. But the Ten Commandments just say do and not do. They don't have any any penalties associated with it. Because it's not that kind of law. But that is the law of a society that is going to be a free society under God rather than the gods of the world. Which takes us back to those first two commandments. That once you understand that the ruling judges of your society that decide what is good and evil for you and force you to comply to that good and evil, like, you know, you have to provide birth control for your employees, you have to, uh, uh, you know, get health care. All these things are imposed by the gods of your government. So people say, I don't believe in God. But they do believe in the gods of government. And now that's not a far stretch. Those those offices in governments are the offices of God in the Bible that Paul talks about and that is talked about in the Old Testament. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, in the Ten Commandments, there were no penalties listed. Somebody points out in the chat room that... Uh, there's all kinds of penalties listed in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But the reality is is that most people who read Leviticus and Deuteronomy are reading it in English and not in Hebrew. And even those many of the people who read it in Hebrew are reading it in the modern version of Hebrew and translating the words so that they... You know, most of the people I know who are translating 
uh, or even speaking Hebrew and reading the, the ancient text in Hebrew, they actually think that God wanted them to pile up stones and kill sheep and put them on those stones and set them on fire. So wrong about that because there's nowhere where it tells us about to do that. I just saw somebody said I should talk about the red heifer that some, some stupid news story came out that a red heifer was born in Israel. And so now the, you know, the second coming and the, the sacrifice in the temple can be started up because they have found this perfect red heifer. And if it is ruled, it'd be perfect. And they showed a picture of a red heifer sucking on a cow. I got a red heifer in our field born this year that way more red than that, that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the reality is, is all the story about the red heifer in the Old Testament has nothing to do with the color red. It has nothing to do with a, a heifer cow. It, the words don't mean that as it is written. The, the, the text and, and the, the language of Hebrew, and we've gone through this reader article on the sacrifice of, sacrifice of, uh, 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 of, you know, of language and, and this land of sophistry that people, uh, jump into when they go into read the Bible and look at the Bible and study the Bible. They don't understand what it is talking about. So why, I don't really think of it as ambiguous. I don't think it of the language is cryptic. I think that the people just don't understand what they're reading. They don't understand how the language is put together. And so they come up with these. I mean, why aren't we all going down to the lake at church services and throwing bread on the water? Because it talks about casting your bread upon the waters. So why don't we do that? Because the whole book is filled with metaphors trying to tell you. So that simple-minded people can read the book and not realize what it's really saying. But people who are divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit dwelling in them can read the book and know exactly what is going on. The statutes of Moses were written to explain for people who could not hear the voice of God at Sinai so that they would have something to go by. Somebody was saying that the uh, the Bible advocates slavery. Does the Bible advocate divorce? Was well, very clear that Jesus says that divorce was given to you because of the hardness of your hearts. It's not that God advocates it. Does God advocate that you have a king to rule over you? No. You he says you can have a king. You can have divorce. You can have slaves. But he also tells you what's going to happen when you do these things. And then, of course, back to that little rabbit trail. What is slavery? What is servitude? And we use the words interchangeably, but they're not always the same. So God allows you to do stupid stuff and tells you that he is not going to hear you in the day that you cry out because of the repercussions of stupid stuff you have decided to do. If you're not going the way of the kingdom, the way of God, the kingdom of God, then bad things are going to happen to you. Difficult times are going to come upon you. Somebody, you know, I sent out a little notice just before the radio broadcast on the network, and everybody should be a part of the network, that uh, you can ask a question. And some people have already come back with questions on the network. 
And uh, their question shows that they are lacking certain understanding of how the kingdom works and what the kingdom is and what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus didn't say jump into the kingdom. He said seek it. So seeking the right to be ruled by God means you have to turn around and think differently. We were told that if you think you want to have a ruler to exercise authority one over the other, uh, like Saul, that you're going to end up with rulers who take and 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 take. And And then you're going to cry out, but God's not even going to hear you. So what are you going to do? You're in bondage. You're in servitude. You don't like being in servitude. Uh, but they're going to keep taking and taking and taking and taking. And you can cry out all you want and complain all you want. But God's not going to hear you because he said he's not going to hear you. So what do you do to get God to hear you? And that's what Christ was telling you. And Paul preached Christ first. If you're not doing what Christ said, you probably don't understand Paul any more than you understood the red heifer and the altars of clay and stone. Because the altars of clay and stone were living altars from the beginning, and even in the time of Abraham, even in the time, to tell you the truth, of, uh, of uh, Cain and Abel, that these were living altars from the beginning. And, uh, you know, that's why uh, you got Philo writing the allegory of Genesis, his first books, right out of the box. He's telling you that these are allegories trying to explain to you the basic principles of the kingdom, including, at times, the mechanics of the kingdom. So now people suddenly say they want to be free. They, they want to be in the kingdom. They want to fully live in the kingdom, but they haven't really turned around their ways. So what was Christ saying that would turn around our ways. He's explaining what repentance looks like. And repentance looks like people who are forgiving. You know, I've dealt with people over the years, uh, dealt with pastors over the years, and we were discussing late last night with a number of people. We had people here from Texas, and we actually have people here from Sweden, and, and uh, we've had a number of conversations. And we're looking at uh, because of the fact that a lot of people have gotten in contact with us again, some of them that had been a part of the network years ago, and now they've recontacted, um, and uh, they're they're joining back into the network, but they're not really in the living network yet. Until they form congregations, they're not really in the living network. They're just on email groups, and if you're not in a living congregation and trying to work together with that living congregation to seek the kingdom you're not really in the living network as we define those terms. We we're, we're, we produce some extra terms here in order to describe stuff so that you have something, some sort of vocabulary to hang these ideas upon. And so, anyway, in this reconnection that is going on, we, we contemplate, well, why did some people who seem to be so much in agreement with us fall away? From the network. They didn't just fall away from us. We've never gone anywhere. We're right here. We've got the same phone number we always had. We've got actually several phone numbers. We can still be in contacted. Many of the same emails that we had, you know, decades ago. And uh, we're still, you know, we've put up people. We've got uh, three or four people staying here right now. Uh, we've had other people here. Uh, and we would like to start a program where we start having more and more people come for training and then go back out in the world. But 
a lot of these people that were with us said they agreed with us that they wanted to go this way and then they fell away. And Christ had the same problem where people are always making excuses. Oh, but I got to go do this. I got to, you know, I'm right with you. You know, I agree with you 100%, but I got to go do these other things first. And uh, and Jesus is talking about that there's a problem with that. If you're going to be one of his disciples, you have to love the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God more than you even love your own family. He's not saying really hate your family. He's saying that you have to put this uh, picking up your cross first. But people, I'll give you an example. I won't get name names, but I knew somebody who was very adamant about realize the contractual nature of government, realize that we had been seduced back into the elements of the world and tangled again in these elements of the world, the rudiments of the world, which was the bondage of Egypt. We had become merchandise again and they wanted out of the system. But what was their motivation? They hated the system. That is insufficient motivation. You will not see things clearly if your motivation is that you hated the system. You didn't want to be a part of the system. You resented the system. You resented the fact that you were in bondage. You realized that and made you angry. And now you want to do something about it. Wrong motivation. That is not coming in the name of Christ. You have to, and I can't change this. This is just built into the mechanics of the system of the kingdom of God. You have to want the kingdom of God because of loving your neighbor as yourself. Wanting to fulfill your duty to God and your fellow man. That's, that has to be your motivation. It probably is not totally your motivation. So, the anger you feel towards the world. You know, the, the despicable detesting of the world and the, you know, the system of things is baggage. You have to set down that baggage. You're dragging the chains of that resentment with you. And it will interfere with your movement. It will interfere with your vision. It will interfere with your ability to give and forgive. You want to move towards the kingdom. What you have to do more than anything else is start gathering together for the of serving others you realize that the reason you went into this bondage where the rulers take and take and take and take is because you failed to gather to serve others there was corruption in israel back there in samuel 8 and people were taking bribes up in this network of ministers of the tens hundreds and thousands and they were acquitting people who were guilty of crimes against their fellow man and they were letting them off the hook through Uh, this uh, pattern of appeals courts, which is what the cities of refuge were all about. And they were letting them off the hook. They could have resolved that issue by the people coming together and caring about those people, you know, that were getting let off the hook. Uh, or Not caring about the people who got let off the hook, but the, the victims of those people who were being uh, let off the hook. Somebody had deprived somebody of property, Uh, they had taken advantage of somebody and they were being charged with uh, maybe bearing false witness uh, for their personal gain or maybe they were being charged with stealing 
or extortion or something like that. And they were convicted, but they appealed up and the appeals courts of the Levites were taking bribes and letting them off the hook, acquitting them so that you couldn't go after them. And uh, that was corruption in the courts. And I can tell you today, there are corruption in the courts. <laughs> There's corruption in the government. Now, you can, people say, well, what can we do about it? You come together. You come together for the intention of tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's what you have to do. Because, and the reason you have to do that is not because you will be able to do something about the corruption. Because you will not be able to do something about matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith. Not simply for yourself, but for your fellow man. You have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You have to care uh, uh, for uh, justice and mercy for your neighbor as much as you care about justice and mercy for you. And if you, if they had done that back in the days of Samuel 8, they would not have needed a king because they could replace those Levites. They could move them out of that position of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now, how did that work, the tens, hundreds, and thousands? They talk about Moses naming the these tens, hundreds, and thousands. Well, really, they also talk about that later on, but you have to look at the Hebrew to find out what words they're putting there, what letters are on those words in order to understand what they're actually saying. And very few people do that, and the few people who do that, many of them don't understand because they think God wants you to pile up rocks and burn up sheep to make him happy, which is nonsense, absolute, utter nonsense. But people believe it by the millions. Because they people believe absolute, utter nonsense by the millions because they're under a strong delusion. So they don't understand Moses' explanation of the Ten Commandments. You know, like putting a railing around your balcony so that people don't fall off and not digging a pit along a trail and not having a bull running around loose you know tries to gore people he's telling you that if you do these things, you're going to be held responsible for them. He's not saying that there's a $100 fine by the government if you don't put a railing around your balcony. He's saying that, you know, that is criminal negligence. If you create a hazardous situation and somebody gets injured, you can be, you don't have to injure somebody by chucking a spear at him. You can injure by creating a dangerous situation that common sense would tell you is dangerous and not doing something to uh, alleviate that danger. Because and, and if you really loved your neighbor as yourself, we wouldn't have to explain the love of Christ in your heart and in your mind, written there by God himself, that revelation of the truth in you. I wouldn't have to explain what Moses was saying and Moses wouldn't have to explain the Ten Commandments and you wouldn't need Leviticus and Deuteronomy anymore because every, you wouldn't need teachers because you every man would know what is right. But every man doesn't know what is right because they're not coming in the name of Christ. They're certainly not even coming in the name of Moses. They're coming in the name of the Pharisees. And so they're all mixed up about what the law is really trying to tell you. Which is basically love thy neighbor as thyself, including thy enemy. You're supposed to love your enemy with this same kind of love. And if you, 
if you had the love of God in you, you could cast out your your enemies simply by walking in the room. They would want to leave. They would want to go out the back door because you would bring in with you the Holy Spirit. But you're not a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of demons because you're walking around hating the system. You you despise the system. You don't love God. You're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're seeking to get out of the system that makes you feel inadequate or oppressed or, or or in bondage. And you don't like that feeling of being in bondage. But do you like the feeling of setting others free? Yeah, you want to be free. I can find all kinds of people who want to be free. I can't find people who want others to be free. And one of the signs that you're not one of those people who want others to be free is that you make excuses why you don't have to show up. You make excuses why you don't have to come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. There is something mystically powerful about people coming with the Spirit of Christ into congregations of ten, picking a minister who does not want to rule over their conscience, over their mind, over their corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality, over anything. They want to help these people connect with 90 other people, 90 other families that are also seeking the kingdom of God. That's what the minister wants to do. He doesn't want to imagine himself up in a pulpit where everybody's listening to him as if he's got something to say and that he is the source of their salvation. He is not the source of their salvation. He knows the source of their salvation is the Spirit of God dwelling in them. But there's no place for the Spirit of God to dwell in you if you are not going to come in the name of Christ, the anointing of Christ, which is coming in the character of a servant to others. So if you have a chance to help others, an old lady who needs her lawn mowed or her light bulbs changed or something like that or her garbage taken out, and you don't have time to help her, you don't have time to be free. That's just the way it is. But if you do have that spirit of Christ to help the the widows and orphans, I had a rich man offer me a quarter of a million dollars to join the, the religious order here. And, and I'm not even going to explain what... A religious order is simply a congregation of ministers. And I turned him down. And I was explaining to him that, no, the way you do this is that you, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness is to seek the practice of pure religion, which is the care of the needy of your society, the widows and orphans, the people who don't have family to take care of them for one reason or another. Maybe they've died or whatever, or, or they've gone off and become Canaanites or whatever. And you're taking care of them instead. You may not have a family of your own. Hopefully, you're already taking care of your family. But you don't have a family of your own, so you go and help other families take care of one another. Families that are broken or having difficulties. So you go and do that instead. And that that process 
and that's why you come together so that you can do that in a network. So you're not just helping your little local congregation, but you're helping a network of congregation, a national and international network of congregation. And you're casting your bread upon the waters in those congregation, whether it's a, whether it's a penny or, you know, you make a million dollars and you give 10% of that uh, or more. Like the rich man who gave 50% and it wasn't enough. The Greek there, you'll realize that this guy wanted to enter the ministry like the apostles and he wanted to qualify and Jesus was mentioning to him what some of those qualifications are. And most people aren't willing to do that. But we're not going to go on that rabbit trail. We went on the one rabbit trail so you understand servitude. You understand bondage a little bit better than you did hopefully when the program started. But now you want to understand seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And how do you do these different things? I have a couple of emails here that came in since this morning. And uh, I, I even actually looked at the chat room. Don't see much going on there. <laughs> but uh, the reality is, is that uh, if you want to go towards the kingdom and in the ways of the kingdom, you need to start coming together. In the spirit of Christ. And Christ commanded that his people... I had somebody call me uh, in need of help again. That's when I hear from these people who were in the network. Don't stay in a congregation. Don't regularly meet and ask what they can do for others. But when they need something done for them, they show up at midnight and two o'clock in the morning and they're calling me and I'm supposed to get their fat out of their fire. <laughs> but the reality is, is I can, I can only do so much. Uh, they have to start caring about others because I know the power of God, the understanding of God, the wisdom of God is not going to enter into you unless you start walking in the way the way that Christ showed us to walk. So that means you have to not forsake the gathering together. You have to gather together, but you also have to gather together with the spirit of caring about others as much as you care about yourself in hopes of learning what it means to practice pure religion and tend to the weightier matters that Christ listed off, which is law, judgment, mercy, and faith, which is law, judgment, mercy, and faith. So this is this is how you're supposed to do this is to gather together and then then this spirit can enter in and awaken you, give you light so that when you read the Bible you begin to understand that doesn't make any sense the way I was told. It's not enough to make sense out of it. Now when it starts to make sense, when you start to see what it's actually talking about, you have to put that into action. Because it's not those who say, yes, yes, I believe. I believe in what Jesus says 100%. I just don't want to do what he said. I don't want to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I don't want to come together in the practice of pure religion. I don't want to tend to the weightier matters. I just want to be free. Not going to work. <laughs> okay? That's just, I, I can't do... Because the spirit that you will need to overcome... The beast, the possessive powers of the evil dominions of the universe that are pervading throughout, you know, the swamps of Washington, D.C. and the swamps of uh, Sydney, Australia, London and the swamps of Rome. 
If you want to overcome that beast, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You're going to need the full armor of God. And so anyway, we'll talk about all this and what that looks like. And maybe even a little bit more of the mechanics of the kingdom when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Meanwhile, you can send me more questions and I'll try to incorporate the answers in this talk. Well, we'll go back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, Seeking the Kingdom of God is about following the way. The way leads you back to the Kingdom of God. And it is just the reverse of the way to the kingdoms of the world and destruction and uh, and uh, and hell. <laughs> a hell of a place to be in the world and of the world because of the fact that the world is going to destroy itself. The end of the world they talk about, which is actually every time they talk about the end of the world in the Bible, they're just talking about the end of the age. They're not talking about the end of the planet. Uh, they talk about new heaven and new earth. Well, you know, every spring day is a new heaven, <laughs> new earth, because it's a new sky and it's a, and it's a, you know, trees are, uh, leafing out and flowers are blooming and it's, it doesn't look like winter anymore. There's not snow on the ground. It's a new world. And so these, these simple little phrases, people can create whole theologies out of them and, and, but the reality is there is change that takes place in the universe. We live in a cause and effect universe. And the, there has been vast changes uh, throughout. We were just discussing some of these changes. You know, back in 500 uh, AD, there was uh, volcanic eruptions and uh, probably a solar minimum at the same time. And it got so cold in Europe and China and Asia that there just flat out wasn't any summer and crops failed everywhere and there was a shortage of food and there was cannibalism in China there was cannibalism in uh, Malaysia there was cannibalism in uh, in uh, Europe because of the fact that they were just flat out out of food and thousands of people died and uh, suffered immensely for a number of years until the weather came back this was just an anomaly that takes place from time to time uh, we have all kinds of disasters that can come about. We have a lot of people on the planet today that were not on the planet a hundred years ago. And we have a lot of infrastructure today that the people are extremely dependent upon. Most people wouldn't know how to grow a garden, <laughs> even if there was good weather. Uh, they don't have the resources. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the ability. And uh, chances are their neighbor would rob them blind. Because everybody is in a me first, uh, economy and a me first, uh, em emotional state. Even your survivalists, you know, I can imagine, you know, 10 guys get together, they're all survivalists and they, they're going to get a cabin up in the woods and stock it with bacon and beans and, and they're going to survive the hard times that are coming with a bunch of survivalists. If they run out of beans, they're going to be on the menu. But the reality is that seeking the kingdom is completely different way to go it's it's not about self it's about selflessness it's not about saving you christ didn't come to save himself if you're coming in the spirit of christ you're not coming to save yourself he certainly didn't come to feel good he doesn't want you to pick a church that makes you feel good he doesn't want you to pick a church that makes you feel spiritual and and uh holy or anything like that he wants you to be good he wants you to be holy 
Yeah, that's that's very clear in what Christ said, and Paul preached Christ first. We have these denominational eschatologies and theologies that are just absolutely contrary to what Christ said, but people find them comfortable and they just don't want to look any deeper. And so we come along and we kind of open up the box. I just heard about somebody, a couple that were came out to see us and and they were starting to wake up before they stumbled on us. And then they were waking up even more because of the fact that we're in the business of waking people up. But the reality is we were opening up their box, but they did not want to see the you know, both of them, at least, to the degree they needed to, did not want to see the depth or what was in their own box. They did not want to look into their abyss. We talked about the abyss. Evil didn't want to be thrown into the abyss. It would rather be, you know, put into these pigs and then go commit suicide. But what is the abyss? There's a little bit of the abyss in every one of us. We all have access to the abyss. We all have access to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. But some of us are going towards the kingdom of heaven. And some of us are going towards the abyss. And we're going to be falling into the abyss. So each of us have that abyss. That was one of the things that uh, some of the philosophers uh, uh, look into the abyss. They talk about looking into the abyss. And they found themselves staring back at them. And are evil staring back at them. But the evil they saw staring back at them was them. And so, okay, so... What What is this all about, this abyss in our own hearts? We have to see the truth about ourselves if we're going to go to the tree of life and light and understanding and truth. We have to see the truth about our own selfish nature because it is our selfish nature that brought us to the edge of the abyss. That, that where we we are only going to fall into the abyss rather than be raised up into righteousness. So anyway, I I got a number of emails here um, and uh, and comments that people have uh, asked about questions. Some of them went back through the network, and some of them are privately sent. And uh, the chat room seems to have dried up. <laughs> no, no comments coming from there. So I'll take a look at at least one of these emails uh, where they said, how does one make a living uh, that is a vocation or a job in the kingdom? Well, you know, that would vary for every single individual. You know, I've told this story many times. When I was a little boy, my father took me into his study and he went over a case that he was working on that involved FBI involved uh, fire marshals and fire investigators it involved arsons it involved insurance companies it involved uh police it involved all kinds of different people and he was telling me all the different people involved in this complex case uh that was that he was trying in court and uh after we were done he says what do you want to be when you grow up and uh I I looked to the side and I thought for a second and I said a sheep herder. <laughs> I was seven years old at the time. Never ever seen a sheep as far as I can remember. Uh, I might have actually seen one on uh, a, a distant uh, uncle's or cousin's farm up in South Dakota. 
in uh, Sherwood, South Dakota, but I couldn't really remember, and I'm not sure if that was before or after my dad was asking me this question, but I'm pretty sure that in the case that he was trying, there was no shepherds mentioned. <laughs> so anyway, where did that come from? Uh, and so how, you know, what is the vocation you think God wants you to have? Are you used to asking God, what do you want me to do? Are you saying, I want to do this, I want to do that, tell me how I can do what I want to do? Are you asking, how can I do what God wants me to do? Well, then the person you should ask, the persona you should ask is God. And he will tell you not only what to do, but how to do it. But if you're not used to asking God, but wanting your own way, because you don't really want to follow his way, then you're going to find it difficult to figure out what to do. Now, to be honest, I don't always know what to do. Every morning I get up and I go out the door or wherever, you know, out into the main room and wonder, what should I do? Who am I asking? Am I asking my own particular desires for comfort and and uh, and satisfaction? Or am I asking, what does God want me to do? Well, that's... You have to search your own soul to find out who you asking what of. So he goes on to say, how does one establish trusts, foundations, or estates in the kingdom? Well, you know, that, that's a, uh, that's a question that doesn't seem to be very kosher. I haven't seen the question yet. How do I do what God wants me to do? How do I serve the Lord? How do I seek the righteousness of God? These are the questions I'm I'm looking for. Now, that may come in many different forms. A person may say that in many different ways. But uh, trust foundations and estates, well, there's only, the only estate that God creates, there actually, well, there are kind of two estates that God creates. One is the family. That is the corporation of God. That is the first estate of God, is the family. Adam and Eve and their children. And Adam and Eve were Adama. Uh, they, they were the people. So the only corporate unit you see in the beginning is the corporate unit of, uh, of the family. So where's your family? Where's your brothers and your sisters? Where is... The, your wife and your children or your husband and your children, where are they? Are you tending to them? Okay, you don't have a wife or, or husband and children, so where's your brothers and sisters? All oh, your brothers and sisters want to go off in this direction. You don't want to go that way. So where is your spiritual family? You know, I, I, I have, I know people who are bachelors and they're beyond childbearing age and they don't have any children and they're not going to have any children. And so what are they doing with their time? Are they spending it on their nieces and nephews? Are they spending it on their neighbors? Or are they just living a selfish existence? And they know, well, that's okay because the government will take care of me when I'm old and I can't take care of myself. But that see you're you're looking to the government to take care of you when you're old instead of the righteousness of the kingdom which your children should be honoring you and taking care of you well if you don't have any children then your nieces and nephews should be taking care of you 
because of the fact that you helped take care of them as they were growing up. You know, I, I told the story to somebody uh, from another country the other day and was talking about, I knew a daughter and mother who were faced with the grandmother and taking care of her. And the, the, uh, so, so the, the mother, who is the daughter of the grandmother, she was thinking this is getting too much. It's so hard to take care of granny. So I need to uh, put her in a home. I found an assisted living place that will take her and we're going to put her in there because it's just so much trouble to check on her all the time in her apartment and she can't live alone. And so the the young daughter said, well, why don't we just take her into the house? We have an extra room. We can take her in here and we can take turns and we can help uh, grandma. Oh, no, that would be so much trouble to have her here. And, you know, it would be such a burden and everything. Better off put her in an assisted living. And which it can cost you 1500 to 2000 to even more a month. Why not put her in the extra room? It costs you almost nothing. You could even hire people to come in and watch her when you had to go do things. And you would still only have a fraction of the cost. You know, these granny cabins right next to the house where... They get to have a certain amount of independence, but you, but I've seen this over, I, I've actually built these granny cabins for people or uh, additions where they can put grandma and they just, they don't have the patience for it. They struggle with this. It's such a burden. But this particular family, the, the young daughter, the young daughter said, well, let me know what the address is of this home. That you want to put granny in. So I know where to put you. When you get her age. <laughs> and guess what. Uh, that was a spark of revelation. And they all took care of grandma. Till the day she died. And so she never went into that. <laughs> uh, place. And. Uh, but that's how it works. Is that you take care of. Your parents. So that your days will be long upon the land. Well, how does taking care of your parents to honor? It says to honor. That means to fatten in the Hebrew. You're supposed to take care of your parents. So that your days will be long upon the land. Because your children will see you taking care of your parents. Your nieces, your nephews will see you taking care of granny. And they will say, he took care of granny. I will help take care of him. Hopefully. That's casting your bread upon the waters, by the way. And so that's that's one of the things that I shouldn't have to explain to anybody. They should just see this because it's written on their hearts and their minds. And like I say, if you don't have children, then you better be helping somebody else's children out. So you find your spiritual family and that's what a congregation is. And you cannot pick and choose your your congregation. You should pick the one that is closest geographically to you because you can do them the greatest amount of good. They are not going to be perfect. If you went out and got married and had children, your kids are not going to be perfect. You don't get to pick and choose. Well, this one's ugly. Let's just toss this one in the ditch. Now, this one, you know, she's throwing a fit. Let's just smother her. You can't do that. You have to take the children God gives you and you have to take the congregation God gives you. And then you use that congregation. If it's stepping on your toes, you forgive them. If they're being lazy, you rebuke them. And, but you, in every case, you love them. 
and you seek righteousness with them, to do righteousness, righteousness by them, with them, and for them. Because you're the government of and for and by the people. And so that's your family, your congregation. If you have no other family, you should actually have both. Because a congregation is not a corporate entity, like a family is a corporate entity. Man and woman, no more twain. That's the way people should go, generally speaking. But it's not in the cards for everybody. I understand that. And you, you, this day and age, I would not be wanting to go out there looking for a spouse. And I, when I found my wife, I didn't find her because I was out looking for a wife. I, I'd given up. I told God, I said, you gotta pick them. <laughs> I can't pick them. Once I did that, then I found them. Same thing with, I can't pick a vocation. When I turned to the side and, and when my dad asked me that question, I was asking the still small voice in my heart, what should I do? And what came to me was sheep herder, shepherd. I needed to be a shepherd. I didn't know what that meant at seven, uh, but uh, that's what I am. And uh, and God has given me these three score and uh, ten years to do this. And hopefully he'll give me some more. But uh, I am serving him, not myself. And so I have an estate, my family estate. It's not a legal estate. It's my family. I don't own anything. Everything I have, I've given to the church. And that's one of the requirements of the ministry. But in the congregation, God wants to return every man to his possession and every man to his family. And that's what you gather together in congregations is to facilitate that and make that. And that congregation is a trust. And you, if you are not willing to cast your bread upon the waters in this network of tens, hundreds, and thousands which Christ commanded, then why would you create a trust? You know, I've gone through, we have dozens of recordings on trust, where trust came from, uh, why they became very powerful. I have gone through and organized documents on foundations and estates, and we have all those things. But I don't publish those out there. I mean, the, the Sacred Purpose Trust, we focus on that. We do explain what other kinds of trusts are. And we do want family trusts uh, to protect the families because we want to return every man to his family and to his possessions. And there are legal ways to do this. And we explain that, but that's on a congregational level. So if you're not in a congregation, I can't help you on the radio because I'm not going to explain that. I'm not going to publish any more than I've already published on these subjects. Uh, But there's a lot of things that you can do in the mechanics of the world to start moving in the direction of the kingdom and uh, putting on these uh, institutions that's what you're supposed to do is be preaching the kingdom to every institution, every creature, every corporation, every uh, every uh, LLC, every trust uh, that you are compelled to use because you're still in bondage in the world. But we want to put the spirit of the kingdom in these institutions, knowing full well that eventually these systems will fall. But we'll have a spiritual system in place because the church operates entirely by free will offerings. The church operates entire, entirely by volunteerism, by free assemblies, 
by faith, hope, and charity. And so, the problem is, is that people have not been living by faith, hope, and charity. They have been living by what they want. Uh, by what makes them feel good. By what benefits them. And so they have no vision of the kingdom. They don't understand the kingdom. They think the kingdom is being out of the systems of the world and the control of the world and out of the hell that they've created for themselves. That That's not the kingdom. The kingdom, if you enter into the ways of the kingdom, the world will spit you out. It, it, will, it will go around you like uh, water around a boulder in the river. It, it will, it will, you will not be swept away by the currents of the world. You will be that rock because you are actually, but you have to climb up and immerse yourself with the character of Christ. You have to walk with the character of Christ. You know, and I, I've had a number of stories. I don't think we'll have time to go into them, uh, but I talked to a number of people on a one-to-one basis in person about the spiritual mechanics that if you walk in the way of Christ, a literally a spiritual current wraps around you and through you that will protect you and guide you. And a light will go on in your path that will show you the way. But if you continue to walk in the willful way of selfishness, not gathering together to, in the name of Christ to serve others, to save others. This is why Christ came. So if unless you're doing that, you're not coming in the name of Christ. If you see you're not doing that, you need to repent and start doing that and coming in that name of Christ. And then when I say things, they will make more sense. They will fit together better. And you will understand things. Because it's very dangerous to share with you some of the knowledge of how the system works and the mechanics of the system. You know, if you needed a car to go to work, I'm not going to buy you a Ferrari. If you don't know how, especially if you don't know how to drive a stick shift. (laughs) Because you're going to get yourself into trouble. I don't put five-year-olds behind the seat of powerful uh, motorized vehicles. So I'm not going to give you information about how to manipulate or move in the world because you haven't, you're not really moving towards the kingdom. Well, how do I know you're moving towards the kingdom? You're gathering together in free assembly, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, seeking to serve rather than be served, seeking to Set others free rather than just set yourself free. If I see that, then I say, well, you know, maybe we can get this guy, you know, something with a little bit more power under the hood. Because he's operating in the ways of God. He's he's starting to move. But I have to be very careful. I give you too much power. You'll be corrupted. Uh, and, you know, he goes on to ask in this letter. I just looked down at it. Uh, Do I have to give up my job in corporate America now or at some point or can uh, I think he means I do a similar work within the kingdom well again if these if 
if this individual had been in a congregation with ministers who meet every week and discuss these things, he he would have the answer to that already. And that's what uh, every congregation should meet once a week with their minister and ask him and the congregation, because they have to be developing a relationship with each other. It's an interaction. It's a free assembly, but the, there's no corporate bonds in a, a congregation. But there are spiritual and emotional bonds that are created by the fact that you're trying to walk together towards this other realm by operating according to the Spirit of Christ. So everybody is coming together with the Spirit of helping everybody else out. Not grandstanding or espousing different things. Um, it is the called out was the church in the wilderness. That's what, when they say the church in the wilderness, clearly referring to the Levites in the wilderness. The Levites were called out by Moses to be the ministers and go back in and set the captives free. And that was their mission. Christ came to set the captives free. The Levites came to set the captive free. And the called out of Christ, the church established by Christ, the ordained ministers of Christ to whom he appointed the kingdom who are not supposed to exercise authority one over the other are called out to help facilitate setting the captives free. You cannot get out of the system by filing some paper. You cannot get out of the system of the world. You are a surety for debt. You are merchandise. Your parents have uh, cursed you with debt. We, you, you could know this just by watching Fox News. You could probably pick this up just by watching CNN News. <laughs> the reality is, is that everybody in the United States is responsible for the debt of the United States. And so you're already in that bondage. You can't get out by saying, I don't want to be there. Now, the ordained ministers called out into another system that is actually a geopolitical recognized system different than all the other systems of the world because they don't exercise authority. They don't control other people. They don't crown men kings over you. That church would not do that. It would not make other men rulers over you. Their job is to return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. Not bring men under the bondage of Egypt or make men subject to rulers or make men slaves again in the bondage of Egypt and, and in servitude to men who exercise authority. The church wouldn't do that. The church is told not to do that and to go this other way with free assemblies that set men free. That's what we're told to do. So if the church you have is not doing what Christ said to do, that's not a church established by Christ. But it's the church, the ministers of the church that are called out. We're all called out of sin. And the apostles were in the world, but not of the world. And that word world was not age or aeon or inhabited places. It was the constitutional order and system of government of Rome. Jesus' kingdom was not of that world. It was separate. So it is those ministers who come out now to prepare a way 
for everybody else to be set free and survive that freedom. Because that's very important in the kingdom of God. Okay, welcome back. Well, we got a bunch more questions and we'll try to get them in this last half hour. We won't be able to give us much time, but there'll be another show this afternoon. Uh, join the network. Uh, start talking to the individuals. I was counseling with the ministers last night uh, on some of these things and they're they're starting to grow in understanding. Hopefully, uh, that's the way to do it because you want to create those those channels. You don't know how to walk in the kingdom. You're absolute cripples at walking in the kingdom. And you, you, so now you need to learn to walk again in the kingdom, in the way of Christ. So that means your nerves and your blood circulation has to build up. And so therefore, the pattern that Christ gave us, the pattern that we see God giving Moses is this tens, hundreds, and thousands. Ten families come together, pick a minister. That minister connects them with nine other congregations of ten each. So that's a hundred. And they just keep on going up, uh, in, you know, fifty. Uh, one hundreds is, you know, uh, five thousand. And so you just keep repeating that pattern nationally and internationally. But the spirit that has to be there in that pattern is a spirit to serve others. You say, well, why why do I want to join that network? What do I get out of it? Well, wrong question. If that's the question you ask, you need to take a look at it. So, again, dictated by us from the top down. It's dictated to you by the Spirit of God dwelling in you. How do you get the Spirit of God dwelling in you? How do you hear God? How do you get God to hear your prayers? Well, you forgive. You forgive your neighbor. You forgive your government. You forgive your parents. Somebody asks, do I take care of my parents no matter what kind of parents they were? Well, yeah. Why not? Now, how you take care of them and what way you take care of them is going to bring you face to face with your the resentment you're still probably harboring. I'm just guessing here. Still probably harboring for your parents. When I first started preaching, I had certain resentments and animosities for the church that I was raised in. I was I was raised in a particular uh, Carmelite rite, but then eventually I went to studied in the Roman rite of the church, and I asked them questions, and they gave me no truthful answers. They didn't have the answers, so I'm not picking on the individuals. They just didn't know. They said they knew, but they didn't know. And so I had a certain resentment Towards all that time I wasted and all the humiliations they imposed on me while I was, you know, which wasn't all that great, but uh, it was big to me. I mean, I was attending St. Joseph's College when I was 13 years old and uh, dealing with people a lot of times much older and supposedly wiser than me. And uh, there was some humiliations involved in that process. And I didn't forgive those yet. So just saying the word church cringed me <laughs> somewhere inside and so i started ta- using the word ecclesia rather than church now i use his holy church because i'm at peace with this i had to come at peace with it because i i've had to deal with it the the last year i went to uh, uh high school um because uh, i had left you know th- that area and i kind of progressed up and i was uh 16 and 
And my father says, well, do you want to go to parochial school for this last year? Because I had to meet certain credits to graduate in. Even though I'd, I'd done a lot of other classes, I had to get these credits to be technically legally graduated from high school <laughs> in California. And so I, I had a half a day that I was supposed to take at least at this other school. And uh, I could have gone to public school and done it. Uh, but I went to, uh, I said I wanted to go to parochial school one more time to see if I can get it right. And I dealt with a lot of my resentments. And I learned to be still and calm and not judgmental and angry and upset. And I faced a lot of my demons and a lot of those demons left me and uh, came to peace. But they were still haunting me and tracking me around. It's those chains of Marley again, dragging, that baggage dragging behind me. And how do you get rid of that baggage? Forgive. Forgive those that burdened you with that baggage, which is actually really you. Um, other people were involved in it, but it was your reaction to them that made that a baggage, which allowed them to get their hooks in you. So as you forgive them, the hooks come out, there's healing, there's growth, and then you begin to see things more clearly, and you become more agile on your feet. You're not being dragged down. Your health is not being dragged down because you're not dragging all these chains and baggage behind you. So forgiveness is a really big and important part of that. You also, humility is a really big, important part of that. You have to be careful, you know, like I talk about, in order to read the Bible, you have to receive the revelation of God in your heart and your mind so that you can understand what it's saying. You cannot figure out what the Bible is telling you by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You have to have this uh, revelation in you. Now, the problem is, Evil can appear as an angel of light and it can make you think that you're receiving the revelation of God if it's appealing to your vanity. So how do you check? Is this God? And people ask me this all the time. How do I know if it's God of heaven or one of those small g gods that Paul says there are many? Which may include your pastor who is the God of your mind. The pastor said it so it must be true. You've just given him the power of God. And that isn't necessarily so. You shouldn't give me the power of God. You shouldn't let me rule over your heart and mind. So how do you know it's really the God of heaven? Or if it's not? Well, there's lots of ways to know this. How selfish is your life? Is it leading you to a selfish life or a selfless life? Because Christ led a selfless life. I mean, that's why there he is. The king of Judea the savior of the world, and he's getting down on his hands and knees to to take the lowest position in a household, which is the foot washer. Now, I've seen pastors do the foot washing and take great pride in the fact that they're doing the foot washing up on the stage <laughs> in front of everybody else. But that isn't, that is not the humility of Christ to take pride in appearing to be humble. So you have to be careful. Every revelation you receive is not the way to tell. James told you how to tell. By your their works, you shall know them. Are they helping that little old lady change her light bulbs? Are they taking out her garbage? Are they mowing her lawn? Are they, are they spending a life of service to others? 
waiting upon them, taking care of them, providing for them. Okay, you say, somebody else asks, what about my parents? Do I help them no matter what kind of parents they were? If your parents were terrible, all the more reason. If they were abusive, all the more reason you should help them out and learn to do it without judgment, without hate, without resentment, without anxiety, to, to wait upon them. It will make you stronger in the ways of Christ. Because you, you, in that process, you're going to have to forgive them. You know, your parents are probably as rotten as they were because their parents weren't that great either. If you want to cha- change the cycle, you have to break the cycle by doing something completely different. This is the way it works in the kingdom of God. And so you have to work that way yourself. And so, yeah, yeah, no matter how your parents were. Now, there there was actually another question there uh, uh, that they... Okay, so they're talking about they have a vocation against the kingdom of God. I don't know what that means and what that looks like. But I know that there's a lot of people who who think, oh, well, we can't do that because that's against... they've, They've already plucked the kingdom of God out of their tree of knowledge. You have to remember there was a Roman centurion who was closer, uh, had more faith than anybody that Jesus had met yet in Judea. It was a Roman centurion. There were tax collectors chosen to be the apostles. Now, yeah, eventually they left tax collection uh, and they became these apostles. And that was their livelihood. And that's that's very possible that you can do that. But you don't need... I don't know what that vocation is unless you're an abortionist or something. Uh, you can... But I've actually known people who worked in abortion clinics who were actually seeking the kingdom of God. Now, they were in the process of waking up. Of course, if it, if once they really started waking up, they were cast out of that profession and went into another profession... But that's where they started. So I don't know where you're at or where you've been. And I don't care where you've been. I care about what direction you're going. All of us have been heading towards the abyss at one time in our life or another. And many of us are are on the brink of falling into that abyss. But if you're going to turn around and go the other way, then you know God can move you towards the kingdom with leaps and bounds. In a rapid way. But it usually involves a process. Even Paul who had this sudden revelation. On the the road to Damascus. And knocked off his high horse. uh, By the power of God. Had to go away. And contemplate and study and ponder these things. For a long time. And learn to serve and wait upon others. And he was struggling with a lot of things. For a long time. But the reality is. I, I you know, this is why we have congregations to have those conversations about exactly what that vocation is and what it looks like. And I can tell you that if you have preconceived notions as to what you think you can do and can't do in the kingdom, they're probably wrong because you can do almost anything in the kingdom. You can be a police officer, you can be a soldier, you can be a politician. And be seeking the kingdom of God. And what what happens is God puts you in these places. You can be a lawyer. <laughs> he puts you in these places. And then he begins to wake you up. And if you come 
in the spirit of Christ to serve others, to sacrifice your ego, your vanity, your comfort for the well-being of others, that he will begin to awaken you and begin to turn on a light in you, a light of revelation. And the revelation that you receive is not... Because the devil, like I say, can the evil can make you feel like you've had a revelation. But it's not the revelation you need. He will tell you truth. Evil will tell you truth. Show you the truth. But he won't show you the whole truth. About yourself. About your selfishness. And so this, as a matter of fact, he will avoid showing you that truth. But if you begin to see that and this light of God goes on in you, you will be cast out. You will be disbarred if you're a lawyer. Eventually, you will get to that point. But in that process of getting to that point where that light is turned on and you're thrown out, like the blind man thrown out, cast out, put out of the synagogue, Christ will find you. He'll send his servants to find you and say, hey, come into the kingdom. Follow me. And you'll begin another process of growth in another realm. We need doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs in the kingdom. But what they do in the kingdom will be decidedly different according to a different spirit than what you see going on. Well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna help you with those decisions and we're not going to try to turn on those lights in the specific area of your life on the radio. That's why we have the network. So that you can form those living networks of congregations in the tens, hundreds, and thousands where we can deal with these on a case by case basis. I'm not gonna always be available to everybody. I'm gonna be away from the phone at times, but if you're in congregations, we can connect. And I I will take the time to help individuals. I will make room for individuals to come out and do counseling. And maybe we can cast out some of those demons that are dragging you. Cut some of those chains that are dragging behind you and and help you set down some of that baggage that is weighing you down and destroying your health and your well-being spiritually and even physically and so but in order to do that you have to start thinking a different way entering into you know gathering with other people not so that you will be saved first but equally to save others and if if people will do that then the spirit will come in to their midst, into the midst of their gathering, into the midst of their being. And that's where you want to go. That's the kingdom of, that's how you get to, kingdom of God is within you. God will do the rest. He will provide the power and the glory forever and ever. He will also be given the credit if you are truly a humble individual. But you you will be able to start, stop mobs in the street. You will be able to cast out uh, evil politicians who come in. <laughs> it, 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 it will be quite the challenge uh, to you uh, when, if you had to go into a hospital, if you have to go into a doctor and, uh, and they want to cut you open or they want to uh, uh, put chemotherapy into you and what do you do? How do I can't advise people that on an individual basis, but the Holy Spirit can guide you. But if you can't even do things like gather together with 
uh, nine other families to help them homeschool, help them take care of their parents. Uh, maybe you have no parents to take care of. Maybe you have no children to take care of. Um, but you can help other people do that. And uh, people say that, you know, they want to find a spouse. Well, what better place to find a spouse than amongst a network of people that are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Uh, I mean, that, that sounds like a good place to look for a spouse. But you, you have to really, you know, we've had people come here to the, to the, the festivals here and they got married. But just because they come to the festival doesn't mean they're coming and seeking the kingdom of God. And one guy that's coming to mind, that it was totally a vain individual who was trying to impose his private interpretation and doctrines on everybody else. I'm not trying to impose anything on you. I'm just saying that you need to love one another. You need to set down your pride, your selfishness. Uh, how you do that, I don't know how you're going to do that. But that's, if you're out there dictating, controlling, manipulating, uh, uh, putting more chains on people, more baggage on people, uh, you're probably not of Christ. But if you're trying to serve other people, I actually saw somebody observing me when I, uh, during the festival, there was somebody had a, a particular difficulty and I was, uh, constantly checking on that individual. I have all these people and I'm going over and checking on that individual. Why, why am I doing that? It's, it's just, it's built into your nature. You, you know where to go. You know what to do. You know what to say. You know what to, to, to offer other people. It isn't always what they want to hear. And, and sometimes it brings tears. It brings, um, pain and suffering. But in the long run, it's the only thing that will bring growth. It, no pain, no gain. Uh, no sacrifice. No life more abundant. It, no greater love hath a man that he laid down his life for his fellow man. So it, that's why you form a congregation, is to lay down your life in a righteous, reasonable, uh, wise way for others. And then you will have life more abundant. Now, if you want to enter the ministry, that's there was a clear distinction that Christ imposed certain things upon the ministry, the ordained ministers. Now, we have we have ministers who are not ordained that are helping out in the interim and learning the process. Uh, we have, uh, you know, different people that are doing different things. But the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of the world. It does not exercise authority one over the other. But it is an actual government of the people, for the people, and by the people, where the people come together to serve one another, not to take, to take, to take, to take. That's what happened. In Israel. The reason they got leaders who take and take and take and take and take and take is because the people wanted to take and take and take and take and take. The people wanted to rule over their neighbor. They wanted to force their neighbor. They wanted to control things for themselves. They wanted, you know, like I, I always remember that early on when somebody was complaining about the courts being abusive in a nearby town and I went there and they 
they wanted I was invited to go there and they they wanted me to talk and I explained that you have to be here for him and he has to be here for you you have to come together to back each other up so you don't go in there alone and they just flat out said I don't care about his problems I want my problems to go away so if you write me or call me and say how do I get my problems to go away but I have no history of seeing you trying to get other people's problems go away. I think we found the problem. <laughs> the problem is you're not coming in the name of Christ to serve and to save others. The only time I hear from you is you when you want to be saved and served. Now, I'm, I don't condemn you for that. But that's the problem. You God is not going to hear you. You're going to receive revelation, but it's not from God. Until you're willing to see yourself, the truth. You're hiding in the bushes that are surrounding the tree of knowledge. You're not coming out into the light to see your own nakedness, your own inadequacies, your own problems. And when you come out and you see that, does it motivate you to hide again? Or does it motivate you to repent and do something different? To gather with others for the purposes of their salvation. Not yours first. Their uh, uh, serving them. Not serving yourself. It's that simple. Then that Spirit of God can come into you. You know, I was out irrigating on the desert. And I was turning water into an area that was very fertile. But there had been nothing growing there. Because there hadn't been any water in a long time. And it looked... The ground looked all dry when I came back the next day. But when I went and stepped on what looked like dry ground, it was my feet sunk down into that. And I tell you, within a couple of weeks, there'll be grass growing everywhere because that ground is full of seeds and very, very fertile. The water was moving as this invisible current underneath the debris that was on the surface. So even though it looked like it was still dry. It was saturated wet and, and going to be growing grass there in that spot. Well, that's the way it is with the kingdom. If you start coming together to love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, the current of the Spirit coming from the kingdom of heaven within you will begin to permeate your being. And it will, it will come into every nook and cranny of your being. You won't, it won't be a big emotional charge. It won't be, you know, bright lights most of the time. You're not going to get knocked off your high horse. Well, maybe you, you will get knocked off your high horse, but you'll be blinded. You won't even see the light. They always talk about knocked off his high horse. After that, he was blind. He couldn't see anything. <laughs> so, and he, his sight had to come back by the grace of God. If I'm knocking you off your high horse by what I'm saying, now you have to, you know, where did he, where did he go? Arabia? And start taking care of one another. Start applying that Spirit of God to your daily activity. You have to put that into action. Because it's the doers. Now, now when you you act upon that Spirit that has knocked you off your high horse and and maybe blinded you to your own uh, false faith, 
You know, you thought you had faith. You thought you were righteous. You thought, you, it, because that's what you do is you, you go out there and judge the world. All the world is this and the world is that and it does all these bad things and everything. You're just, you're just in the business of judging others. You need to take a look at yourself. What are you doing by your works? We will know. You will know. So if you're coming together and helping one another, the, that spirit of God will just enter into you. You won't even know. Cause it's still, it's small, it's, it's permeating into your being. And it will begin to protect you and it will bring opportunities. It will open up doors. But you have to apply yourself. You have to, you have to pick up your cross and carry it with love and compassion. Whether it's taking care of your parents or taking care of your neighbor or whatever. So anyway, join the network. Join the living network by gathering in congregations. Find more people who will gather in congregations and then do that mitosis. Those congregations will become that kingdom. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.